Riley, have you ever gone hunting with a bowl and spoon? Oh, God, have I ever. Now you can, Dan, with Libby Zoodles. What? Elephants, tigers, zebras, giraffes. Zoodles oh are animal noodles. Come on, tell all your friends. Tell a whole bunch. I just had a hippopotamus for lunch. You son of a bitch. They're endangered, Riley. They're also vicious. Do you know how many hippopotamus deaths there are every year in Africa? How many? Tons. Are they endangered? I'm not sure, but I know they they look like goofy. Hoi, hoi, hoi. Yeah, they look super cute, and they're very, very yeah, aggressive. And, aggressive. Yeah. Do you remember the Zoodles jingle? Yes, I do. Hey, 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 Zoodles. I want to eat your animals. That's not even close to what I was doing, but it was so iconic when I grew up. Yeah, when I was a kid. Sing it with more pep. What was more like, have you ever gone hunting with the bowl and spoon? Now you can. Would it be zoodles? There, that's good. Yeah. You sounded like you were on on sleep medication when you were initially. I am most of the time. And you know what I just realized? I just gave, like, fucking publicity to Libby's. Oh, God. Well, that means they, they have to sponsor the show now. What have they ever done for me? They make beans. Good beans. I like their beans. As a kid, I did. I haven't had their beans in a long time. I don't even know if they still make beans. I'm not even sure if they exist. Yeah, they do. Because Zoodles still exist. But is it Libby's? I th- or maybe it's Heinz now. It's Heinz. Right. I'm confused. It's all a blur. But you know what? My um, subject this week is about little tiny children. Oh, no. A little tiny child, to be exact. So I thought it was appropriate that this I opened dark. it. It's fucking dark. It, this No, this is dark. This is like... Get your Bible kind of dark. Oh. Well, it's just creepy and unsettling as hell because it's from Russia. Everything creepy and weird seems to come from Russia. What's the the name of... Speaking of which, um, we have listeners now from Russia. I think it's amazing. And South Africa and Japan and Italy and Spain. We're a worldwide force to be reckoned with. Yes. There are tens of people from all those countries that are listening to our show. (laughs) No, but it's cool. It's really neat to see it spread. So uh, maybe we'll pick up some more Russian listeners after you give that country some love. Well, I'm giving them love tonight. I'm going to tell you, Dan, a story that is really unsettling and it's scattered. So don't blame me for how scattered and weird, sort of patchworky, the information that I'm about to impart is. It's not my fault. It's just the way it is. I reviewed about eight sources for my information, some of them quite long. And it's just, there's a lot of contradiction. There's a lot of overlap. It's what it is, but I love the story. Are you okay with that? I'm I'm very okay with it. I'm always okay with your stories your stories are always great and you're always worried about No, but I'm or not. just giving I'm just giving everyone an explanation because this isn't as narratively doesn't flow as well as my narratives usually sure. do because the sources were all over the map tonight. I'm going to share with you and the world now the story of baby Aloshenka. Have you heard of this? Never. Okay. We're going to Russia. This is interesting. I'm just going to a quick interjection. I almost did uh, for my next episode, but I'm doing something different, and you'll find out next week what that is, good listener. I can't reveal it now, but I almost did a story from Russia. That would have been neat, eh, if they'd been back-to-back. We'll get to that one later at some other time. Good. Okay. Now I'm excited. We're going to rural Siberia, 
and we're going to the Ural Mountains. We've been to the Ural Mountains before. Oh, that's right. We, well, we with the Dyatlov Pass. Yeah, this is not the. This is the second time we visited Russia. Ural Mountains are forever burned into my brain because of the game Risk. Because the Urals was on the board game, and I used to call it because I thought it was so funny when I was eight. The urinals. So I'm sure everybody in the Ural Mountains is really happy with me for that. Do you know anything about the Urals? Of course not. Yes. Well, okay. It's a very remote and harsh environment, and that's important. Yes. Strategically, very important to Russia. Though. Yes, and I'm going to I'm going to explain that later. The people who inhabit that region. They're extremely isolated, and they're the kind of people who like to keep to themselves. Unlike me, because I don't know if you can hear this in the back. Someone, I've got my window open. It's warm here in Ottawa. There's someone doing weird yard work, and it's dusk. Like, what's going on? Oh, my God. Can we do a show called Weird Yard Work? (laughs) I'd love it. No, I just hear, like, weird, like, old-timey saw sounds and and push more. There. It's fine. You hear that? Yeah, but it's fine. It means the world is alive. Okay, I'm totally sold on the idea of weird yard work. We'll we'll put it in our next weird odds and ends. (laughs) Weird yard work with your host, Dan Lajoie. Okay. Um, They're very dedicated in the Urals to their way of life. It's a very simple, very rural way of life. It's rural in the Urals. (laughs) (laughs) And it's remained unchanged for many generations. They have cows they milk. They have crops they raise. It's a very, that kind of very traditional way of living. The specific area we are visiting is the territorial district of Kishtim. And this is in the southern regions of the Euro Mountain Range. Now, this is interesting because I'm, you know, almost every podcast that I lay down for you has some kind of war reference in it to make you happy. Mm-hmm. So tonight I'm sating your appetite for things historical and war. It's important that you keep me happy because you know how much of a prima donna I oh, am. Oh, you're just a nightmare. I will storm off the set if I don't get what I want. Yes, you will. Well, it was once the site of the Chelyabinsk Fortress during the reign of the Tsars. And it was focal in the Soviet Union's efforts during World War II to keep the Nazis at bay. Yeah. So the Chelyabinsk Fortress. I love that. It just, just say Chelyabinsk Fortress and you can picture it. Big stone, monolithic, cold building. That part of the world, I know this is much further east. You know, everything's sort of starting from Moldova and Romania the Transylvania area, there's something very mysterious and creepy a little bit uh, about, I don't know. It's a little old worldy. Yes. And and shrouded in mystery. Yeah. It's a little like stone and cobblestone streets and chimney smoke and taverns and torch light. Mm. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. Do you want to know something really interesting? I learned from another podcast this past week. Do you know Sweden is really huge? Like geographically? Yeah, it's a big... You can fit all of the United Kingdom in Sweden. Still, well, The United Kingdom is tiny. No, but it's a big... I thought Sweden was smallish. Not at all. No, it's a big, big... Uh, well, they're like Canada too, because a large... Like large chunks, I believe, of Sweden are uninhabited. For good reason. It's cold and... Because, well, and they've got hippopotamuses there. Yeah, and they're endangered. I wonder if you can eat them. All right, I don't want to get off topic. I'm so sorry. Is this, you're, you have to keep to your clock here, right? You've got an appointment after this? Yeah. Yeah. Getting my brows done. Going to get them threaded in the middle of the of the mall. <laughs> have you ever seen women getting their brows threaded in the middle of the mall? No. What does that even mean? It's what's, this what's, thing where they take thread and pull out your eyebrows and shape them. And people just do it oh. sitting on a chair right in the middle of the mall. It's like the woman that cut her toenails once on a flight I was on. 
if you can do whatever you want to yourself, if you want to pluck all your eyebrows out and, and pencil them in afterwards, that's your choice. I'm not going to sit here and say people shouldn't do that, but I would never do that to myself. <laughs> like, there's no way I'd do well, that. Well, they're not removing their brows, they're just shaping them. Well, I've seen people remove the brows completely and then pencil. They have a pencil thing, and I just don't well, like that. Well, that was big in the 40s and 50s. Drag queens do it, too. Yeah. All right, so let's go back to World War II. In this Chelyabinsk fortress area, the area we're in, uh, it was famous for the manufacture of tanks and armaments. And it mm-hmm. had, at the time when the factories were there pumping them out, there was a population, a staggering population of more than one million, which for that particular era was pretty significant. Mm-hmm. The region is also famous for, unfortunately, the nuclear research facilities that had been built there during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Because in 1957, a nuclear fuel processing plant in Kishtim exploded released a cloud of radioactive dust that went on to encompass an area of 20,000 kilometers, including the Techa, the Techa River. And this is actually number three on the list of the most serious nuclear disasters in history still. Wow. So, hmm. yeah, 20,000 square um, kilometers is a lot of territory. So yeah. the radioactivity in that region, is, and specifically in the river, eventually caused an environmental disaster and many claimed it was responsible for a surge in birth defects and cancer in that region hmm. which would stand to reason yeah yeah all right let's get down to specifics now that i've sort of framed the story it's a dark night may 1966 an old woman and picture in your mind an old russian babushka no teeth, the sort of mm-hmm. kerchief, the sunken face, the whole bit. Well, you with a kerchief on. Well, exactly. You, you picture me. This woman's named Tamara Prasvirina. Okay. She's walking in a forest on the edge of a town called Kalinovi. It's a hot night. And the reason that she's in the forest is she thought she might get some relief if she walked in the coolness of the trees. Because, you know, forests are always cooler at mm-hmm. night. As she's walking, she hears a strange cry, a wail in the distance. She also thinks she heard the sound of tiny feet running very quickly oh. along the forest floor. Oh, I hate this. Oh, stupid little children. She tries to locate the source <laughs> of that sound. She searches and eventually comes to a large tree, one of the largest trees evident in that part of the forest. Lying beneath that large tree is a baby wrapped up. Okay. She sees its face. She hears that it's in distress. So she takes the child in her arms and returns to her apartment in Kalinovi. All right? Okay. She then decides, and remember, she's old, that she's going to raise this child herself. There's really no explanation for her motives here. It's just that that's what she decided to do. Well, that makes sense. You see an abandoned baby and you... But I would report it to the authorities. I wouldn't just go home and go, oh, fine, you're my baby now, whatever. But maybe she couldn't have... Could she have children? She's like 80-something. What do you think? Oh, okay. Yeah. Her motherly instincts took over. I think the door is closed on that shop. It's like that uh, lighthouse uh, book. The light, all the light we cannot see. You're babbling like a drunk woman at a book fair. Two days after she discovers and brings the child home, she's visited by her daughter-in-law, who happens to also be named Tamara. So for the purposes of the podcast, I will be referring to the older Tamara as Tamara Sr. 
and her daughter Lara's Tamara Jr., just so you know. Makes sense. So, at the end of the visit, Tamara Sr. asks her daughter-in-law if she would like to help her feed her new baby. And her daughter-in-law, okay. Tamara Jr., is like, what the fuck? And Tamara Jr. must be, what, in her 60s? No, she's in her 50s. 50s. She's completely yeah, okay. taken aback. That's the first time she's ever heard any mention of the older woman having an infant. She goes into the bedroom to see the child for herself, and she is completely shocked by what she sees. The infant looked far too small to be a newborn. The head was way too big for the body. Its face was hard and long and elongated with raised ridges that seemed to actually be part of the bone formation. Its eyes darted back and forth and were far larger than a normal human infant's. There were no eyelids and the pupils were narrow and reminded her of a cat's eyes. There was no developed mouth, only a small hole. <laughs> My lord. It looked like the child was whistling. Oh. The arms and fingers were very long and there was no genitalia evident. So as Tamara Sr. fed the child, it seemed to suck the food in rather than chew it. And she was feeding it a mixture of cottage cheese and condensed milk. This reminds me of like the baby from a racer head. Mm-hmm. She noticed that there were two sharp teeth visible in the tiny opening, as well as a long scarlet tongue. Oh. Isn't that fun? The old woman had named the infant Alyashenka, and this was a tribute to her son, who was currently in jail for theft. There you go. He shoplifted uh, some food. Apparently in the Soviet Union, they're not um, as forgiving about shoplifting as we are here. So she routinely would call the child little Alexei. Her neighbors were puzzled as the elder uh, Tamara, Tamara Sr., claimed to one and all that she had a new baby. And when they asked her for details, she would avoid their questions and actually behave quite erratically. One night, a neighbor wakes to find Tamara Sr. banging on her door. She is almost hysterical and claims that her baby is desperately ill. The neighbor wisely calls the police, who then decide, who then appropriately visit Tamara Sr.'s apartment. The old woman is so agitated when the police arrive that they have to take her into, to, into custody, and they deposit her at a local hospital for medical and psychiatric evaluation, which you're no stranger to. <laughs> no. So this is where, as I said, my um, account tonight is going to be a little all over the place. Other reports claim that she was discovered by one of her neighbors to be extremely ill. And when that neighbor saw how ill she was, she called an ambulance, which then transported her to a hospital. And this is also the explanation that is supported by Tamara Jr. Okay. So Tamara Jr. says she was ill, a neighbor found her, and they took her to the hospital. In any event, Mm -hmm. whatever the story correct uh, interpretation is, she was in the hospital. While there, she kept claiming that she had a baby at home. She had to get home because the baby needed her care. But the medical staff thought that she was mentally ill, that she was senile, and they didn't believe her because she's in her 80s. Right. So the baby is maybe still at that apartment. It was. So, as I said, the doctors believed she was either... (laughs) I don't like the way you said that. It was either senile or mentally ill. And this diagnosis was supported by the observations of her neighbors who claimed that she had been behaving oddly for a number of years, that this kind of behavior wasn't wasn't new. At that point, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia, 
And one of her, I love this story. One of her neighbors claimed, I can just see the neighbor whispering too, that she often stole flowers from the cemetery to decorate her home. Oh. I'd do that. I would not do that. Well, you know, some nice flowers. Well, they're just going to rot. First of all, I don't like the smell of fresh flowers in my home. You want to know why? Because they remind me of funerals. How many have you been to? Lots. Many. Thousands. There's a dark cloud hanging over your head, Dan Lajwa. A dark cloud. I know. Now, this is when it's going to, the story's going to get a little more complicated. So keep these names straight, okay? Oh, God. Okay. This is like my Achilles heel right now. Well, if I can do it, anyone can. Because I can't even tie my shoes without a diagram. I don't even know my own children's name, Riley. The next sequence of events, I can't verify. No one can, but they believe that it is true. A lot of people believe it is true. Vladimir Bendlin was at a police station to question a man named Vladimir Nurdinov. Nurdinov was a petty thief. Oh my God, okay. What? Well, I'm already. Vladimir Nurmanov. Nerdinov, like nerd with an inov. Yeah. Nerdinov. Nerdinov was a petty thief. He was very well known to law enforcement, like the guy that ripped off my neighbor's Amazon. <laughs> As the interrogation proceeds, Nerdinov states that he has a dead baby at his house and he wants to give it to Bendlin to deal with. So Bendlin, the, the police official, accompanies Nurdinov back to his apartment and to his horror and surprise, he discovers that he is indeed in possession of the desiccated remains of an infant. However, the infant doesn't look normal. It looks like an unborn fetus, unformed and really only vaguely human. Okay, so not the same thing that was at Tamara Sr.'s Don't be impatient. Okay. The body okay. is grayish and measures approximately 10 inches in length. Bendlin demands to know how Nurdinov had come into possession of the corpse. Nurdinov states mm-hmm. that he is a friend of Tamara Jr. and was present on several occasions when she cared for the foundling in the care of Tamara Sr. Mm. So Nurdinov had been out of town and had no idea that Tamara Sr. had been taken away to the hospital. When he eventually returned, he discovered that the baby had died of thirst and hunger mm. in Tamara Sr.'s apartment while she was incarcerated in the hospital. Mm. I guess you wouldn't call it incarcerated, being held. Unsure of what to do, he took the remains home with him. However, again, there is another account of events which states that Tamara Jr. had asked Nurdinov, who was a friend of hers, to come with her to check on her mother-in-law and the baby. She claimed that being near the strangely disfigured baby frightened her, and she wanted his company. When they arrived at the apartment, they find that the child has died. Tamara Jr. is very upset, and she then asks Nurdinov to see that the infant gets a proper burial, given that she finds the corpse too unsettling to deal with herself. He agrees, and he takes the body of little Alyoshenka with him. All right. Again, in any event... We've got this guy, Nurdinov, who has this desiccated baby corpse, and he gives it to Bendlin, who is a local police officer. Okay? Got it. Bendlin takes the body and orders a DNA analysis performed. Remember, it's only the 90s. He's hoping that he will be able to use the findings to locate a relative. Dr. Luyabov Romanova is assigned to the case. Her investigation determines that the body and the skin of the corpse are not those of a regular human infant. She claims that the child had features that could not exist on a human being and could not be the result of birth defects or deformities. The skull, 
comprised only four bones Hmm. and was extremely long. The body was too short to support the enormous head. The fingers Mm -hmm. were very long and pointed. The head itself also narrowed to a point. Her final determination was that the baby was not of human origin. Could that could that mean it's an animal, like a deformed animal? It's not an animal. There's no, it doesn't have the anatomy of any animal known. You'll see it if you look online. You'll see the corpse. It's like, oh my god, with its pointy bony head. What do I search? Baby Alyoshenka. Oh, do you see it? Oh, that is weird. That's the actual skeleton. That, is that am I looking at like a mummy of it or is it a, that's a skeleton the of desiccated it? remains? That's the desiccated remains. Okay, so Dan, word began to spread that Tamara, a senior, had been raising an alien child, and well, the press got wind of that story and they went insane. A local TV station reached out to Bendlin for additional information, and at that point, footage was then recorded of him inspecting and manipulating the corpse he turns it around he has his hand in the shot for scale and that's available online you can see it so it's actual video footage of the bendlin that i'm referring to with the baby's corpse Mm -hmm. the head if you look really closely is strange because it looks armored and it really does only vaguely resemble a human child After the broadcast of that particular footage, a media feeding frenzy occurs. The whole story becomes sensationalized and distorted, and everyone in that village seems to have information to sell to the media pertaining to Alyoshenka, the strange baby. Some stated that Nurdinov and Tamara Jr. had made up the whole story as a way of making quick money. However, neither of the two thus far has made a single dime off the story. So what year are we talking about again? Sorry. 1996. Okay, so this is still, this is relatively recent. Recent enough, yeah, to, you know, to not... Like compared to some of our other episodes. Yeah. So I'm I'm assuming Tamara Sr.'s dead, but is Tamara Jr. still alive, by the way? She's still alive. Okay, so she could still theoretically be profiting off this, but isn't. I think she might have later on by doing a few interviews, but in the immediate sort of time of this story she didn't make any money nor did Nerdinov. so i don't know interesting so the ufo experts then descended and they wanted to have an opportunity to examine elyoshenka but the baby was already gone and where did it go well it had been moved quietly by bendlin the police officer to a ufo research academy that was operated by a man named boris zolotov he wanted to test the body thoroughly and then make his own cl- conclusions. And the, th- the thing was, he was an expert on UFOs and UFO people, alien life forms, stuff like that. So he wanted to make uh, an assessment based on his knowledge. Months passed and Benlin had heard nothing from Zolotov. So finally, Zolotov was located. He didn't want to talk about it, but finally he claimed that he had asked an assistant who worked for the UFO Research Academy to transport Alyoshenka's corpse by car to a laboratory located in a neighboring town for them to perform some very specific tests. As the assistant is traveling and it's at night, he's startled when he sees flashing lights in the sky. Then suddenly a large metallic craft appears and lands in the middle of the road, preventing the car from moving any further. The occupants of the craft then telepathically command the terrified assistant to give them Alyoshenka's body. The assistant complies and the craft flies away. What? The the body is gone 
and Zolotov, who is the head again of this UFO Research Academy, will not comment further on the matter and declines all interview requests to discuss this particular episode. Some researchers claim that Zolotov was actually approached by government officials and told to hand over the body. And that doesn't sound that improbable. You know, Russia, you know how it is. Sure. Well, anywhere. Indeed, one witness associated with the case reports that he was visited by a strange group of people who forced him to sign a confidentiality agreement and say nothing further about the incident. There's also another theory that Zolotov was approached by a rich, eccentric collector who purchased the body of Alyoshenka for an obscene amount of money and added it to his private collection of atrocities and oddities. Now, whichever of these theories is correct, the body of Alyoshenka has never been seen again. Hmm. The story doesn't end there. In 1997, a reporter named Vladimir Chernobrov is approached by a woman claiming that she is in possession of the cloth that Tamara Sr. had wrapped Alyoshenka in. She had decided, um, and this, the woman, that it was best to keep the cloth hidden during the media hysteria. At this time, though, she wanted to submit the shawl for a thorough DNA examination, so she gives it to the reporter. So Chernobrov then reached out to Bendlin, the policeman who's been pursuing this case, mm-hmm. and the two decide they're going to work on this new lead together. First, they took the first step by confirming with Tamara Jr. that that was indeed the cloth that her mother had used to wrap the baby in. Okay. So it's been positively identified. Okay. Is it is it that unique that it it's not just like a regular old blanket? It had a pattern on it, and she remembered it distinctly. Okay. So the two then take the shawl to the Vavilov Institute of General Genetics in Moscow. And at that facility, the shawl is tested and examined by experts. After two days of thorough testing, they identify two distinct sets of DNA. The first is female, almost certainly Tamara Sr. And the other is a sequence unknown to science. Organic material is also found mixed in with human DNA and female blood. And that indicates the possibility of an abortion or miscarriage. Yeah. Traces of alcohol are also found, and they think that that was used to clean the body. All signs point to Alyoshenka being an underdeveloped fetus of 20 to 25 weeks of age. And they surmise that the body's deformities were the result of the radioactive fallout that was still impacting the area around Kishim. However, do you remember when I mentioned earlier Leobov Romanova? She had performed the original DNA analysis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She claimed that Alyoshenka looked nothing like infants who exhibit birth defects and deformities, and she studied this quite extensively. She states to this day that Alyoshenka was clearly not of human origin. She notes that the shape and size of the skull were never seen in children, normal or deformed. She also noted that fetuses cannot live for more than a few hours once out of the womb. Alyoshenka had apparently lived quite normally for several weeks. And Tamara Jr. says that that's exactly the case. She also insists that the baby was very alive and very able to consume food. And the consumption of food is impossible for any kind of underdeveloped fetus. Mm. Now, you're probably wondering, whatever happened to Tamara Sr.? I'm not wondering. Skip it. 
Well, people might be, Dan. You're not the center of the fucking universe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Can I, I, I do I have a quick question. I'll interject at this moment because it makes Go sense. Go for it. What was she feeding the baby? She was feeding it condensed milk mixed with cottage cheese. Oh, I love that combination. It'd be so sweet and gross and so like <laughs> okay, but lactose-y. still, yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah. So Tamara Senior had been diagnosed as being mentally ill and had been institutionalized. Mm-hmm. In September 1999, she managed to escape. Wow! And a witness spotted her on the road outside of the psychiatric facility. A speeding car then came rushing out of the darkness, and it struck Tamara Senior killing her instantly. The car then sped away into the night and was never located. How does an 80-something-year-old woman escape a, a locked facility? Is that what this podcast is about? No, I'm, I, I'm, but hear me out, because don't you find that a little weird? Like maybe she was let out on purpose and that car was waiting for her. I think she was in a geriatric psychiatric facility. Anyway. Okay, so not like it wasn't a locked ward. I was one sentence away from ending this it's my way of, of keeping you off kilter and making sure that you don't, you don't get too big for your britches. There are many who claim that Tamara Sr. was murdered because she was about to undergo hypnosis in order to unlock her memories mm-hmm. of the Alyoshenka incident. This is confirmed because she was scheduled for a hypnotic session later that week. Are you okay? But anyway, uh, she was dead. That was it. And she was killed by a hit and run. And it's odd that the minute she, as you said, and I was going to mention this, the minute she exits the hospital, there's a car waiting there. Well, it is odd. Uh, that That's, I mean, it's it's circumstantial. It, it's not hard proof, but it it's weird. It is weird. It's a huge coincidence, right? Mm-hmm. So the corpse of Alyoshenka is gone. Yeah. That's it. So that's my story. Okay. So can I ask questions now? Yeah. But you do, after this uh, episode, on your own time, go and look at the video of him actually manip- manip- manipulating the body because it's quite telling. I've got, uh, I think, p- uh, pictures of it out right now of the autopsy thing. So here's a question I have for you. Did anyone official ever get their hands on the corpse? Two people. Okay, so they're, but not like the UFO guy. No, I said the Institute of Genetics in Moscow. Oh, yeah, that's right. And the first person who performed um, the DNA analysis, she worked for the police. Yeah, yeah. She was a police investigator. These aren't aren't like, you know, know, UFO hunters. They're they're credible It's creepy because the the baby looks like the classic sort of description of like the Area 51 aliens with the big domed head. It's the pointy head with the ridges. It's got those ridges. Almost reminds me of like a triceratops with the plates. Yes. Without yeah. Minus the horns. Are there any theories out there like that try to explain it where it's not aliens? Were you listening at all? Well, the the nuclear fallout. So That's the one that people adhere to the most. They think that because the area, and it still is considered an area that is affected by nuclear. But you did say that they've just sort of, disp- people didn't think that that was a possibility. No, people do. A lot of people do. Okay, a lot of people still think still think that. Yeah, that's the most popular theory, actually, that the body okay. was... And that's what the people at the um, Moscow whatever of genetics said. They said that this was likely deformities caused by nuclear radiation. That's crazy. But where the fuck was the mother, right? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of questions that remain unanswered. No one's ever found any information about the mother. And I guess if, if this is a result of 
uh, radiation poisoning, then perhaps that screws with the DNA as well, right? And gives you something that you've never seen before. That's odd. That's really, really odd. Yeah. I um I wasn't going to do this one until I saw the picture of the baby. And then I was like, Ugh. once you see it, you can't unsee it. It makes me sad. Even if it was an alien baby, this is a little creature. And in a weird way, it's very cute. Don't you think? And very innocent. And very innocent. Doesn't it remind you of the little baby from Racerhead, though? I don't remember that well enough. I, oh, I saw so that way creepy. back in the 80s, man. That's old David They've Lynch got film. The, the, this, this monster baby that they're yeah. taking care of. And yeah, it reminds me a bit of that. Well, wow. This is a very... I've never heard of this. How did... I stumbled across it. Yeah, the story of Alyoshenka. Wow. The thing that I find most fascinating is in the care of this Zolotov guy who's with the UFO Academy, the baby vanishes. Well, he to me though that's the, a weak link because I he he he's not like he's he's not impartial, right? Like he's got a he's coming into this thinking this is an alien because of the work he does. Yeah, his his raison d'être is he wants to prove that UFOs exist and that alien life forms exist. So, so that's that why all, he's automatically puts him at a weaker, you know, uh, persuasive point because I don't think that he's looking at the evidence fairly. And, and in a balanced way. Where's the baby? Well, this is what's odd. Now, so maybe he gets rid of the baby because it is a hoax and there's something, but they already did the analysis. But you could make a killing off just like putting that baby in like, you know, a, a freak display. Maybe Sean Tucker has it in his basement with his Titanic jacket. I just want to see that. Uh, oh, anyway, that's the mystery of Alyoshenka. By the way, like you mentioned, Tamara... Junior is still out there, and she claims mm-hmm. that all of this is true, a hundred percent true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bendlin claims that it all happened the way he says it happened as well. Yeah, and I mean, if somebody from that UFO organization took the baby or sold the baby or whatever, somebody somewhere is going to blab, right? Not necessarily, especially not in Russia. That's true. And apparently, yeah. there, are, there are people in the world who have like private galleries filled with stolen art and stuff, and we don't know about it. Well, Holly was just in the news. Uh, the other day about the British royal family uh, may have stolen uh, artifacts and paintings because the police wanted to investigate and they won't let them. Oh, they're not. They're not allowing them on their property to come look. I just don't imagine they'd ha- they'd have that stuff intentionally. I'm talking about people who intentionally collect stolen art. Well, it depends on your definition of intentionally. Like the British Royal Museum intentionally stole stuff from like. Egypt. Egypt, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they didn't view it that way. They they thought they were, I think there was some altruism, at least in their minds, in doing that, right? Bringing it to the world's greatest museum and, but Dan, and really, showcasing it. Isn't there enough sarcoph- sarcophagi to go around? Right. I think every country should have one. There's a lot of them. I did get to see uh, King Tut when he came to Canada. You mentioned and- that way back, way, way back. Yeah, that was like a year ago. Yeah. Maybe the curse episode. Yeah, and that was so cool to see that. Very cool. That's all I have for us tonight. Is that enough? That was great. Was that a big cup of unsettling information right there? Look, here's the thing with this show. When you asked me to do this a year ago, I think I said to you, look, I don't have a lot of background in these things. This is not something... I mean, there's certain stories that certainly I I knew and, and have spoken about, but a lot of this is new to me. And I'm also extremely skeptical. 
I don't necessarily believe that aliens have visited or that spirits haunt us or ghosts exist and things like that. But some of these stories, and this is one of them, I find it's very unsettling and weird. Yeah. Right? Especially, like you're saying, that it was verified. It's a, it's not a doll. Oh, or it something. happened. I mean, there's a video of Bendlin manipulating yeah. the body for the camera. Yeah. You know, and... and- I just want to put a, a disclaimer um, for what Dan was saying, and I've mentioned it before. I want to believe. I always go back to quoting that poster that Mulder had mm-hmm, in his office mm-hmm, in the X-Files. Mm-hmm. I want to believe. I want to remain convinced. I think mm-hmm. the world would be so much more exciting with ghosts and stuff in it. I agree. I do. I actually do. It's funny because I've gone from being you know, raised Catholic uh, to not really being Catholic, but still being spiritual. To the point where I, I'm finding now, though, that even my spirituality is is in question. I'm I'm a, a student of science, even though I'm not a I didn't study science in, in university, but I I believe in those principles. And so, if you can't prove something, then it it isn't right. And and all these stories, including this one, it's not like there's definitive proof with them, but it it sure looks strange. You know, mm-hmm. you combine this with like the Bob Lazar stuff yeah. in Area 51, then pieces are sort of click into place. And again, don't know that that's fact. It's not, but it's interesting. Yeah. And that's why I liked this story, because like you said, it's interesting and it's compelling and it makes me go, hmm. You know, and I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I told you I started watching Lovecraft Country. Yes. And that idea of magic and you know that there are bigger forces at play and it, it's exciting and it'd be, wouldn't it be neat if it were true it would make me so happy mm-hmm. so i don't think i have anything really per- peripherally my vocabulary is really challenged tonight i got too much sun because it was such a beautiful beautiful day yeah. and our gyms are closed here so my trainer uh we went and worked out in a park with him under the sun and i forgot to bring a hat and uh yeah, I got a lot of. I have a very pink head right now. I look like a little, I had a heat stroke once, like super. Me too. On on set, I had it on set. We were filming a TV show. Um, what was it? Something about coffee. And they had oh, me friends. You were on an episode of Friends. I hate that show. No. Anyway, whatever. The, I don't care. It doesn't matter. But they had me in a wool suit in an oh, empty no. art gallery in July, oh. and it was like probably 100 to 110 degrees in there and i was okay for about an hour and i started throwing up oh my god that's terrible so the story awful i guess sort of end of that story is that they had to recut and sort of rework the episode because i had to leave so they did the rest of my part with just a voiceover that i this was a union shoot yeah it was Oh. oh i know what it was called the endless grind oh i remember that yeah i got uh, yeah. really bad heat stroke and i was in the same day as a guy from degrassi mm. which was a big show in canada wheels no it was a guy with red hair uh, degrassi's big in the states and i'm i'm assuming elsewhere as well yeah i think it was on the disney channel i think they picked it up yeah it went into syndication i believe in the states mm-hmm. and uh well and then what's his face the big canadian rapper there um, who dances on top of the cn tower you're asking the wrong person well, anyway, he was on it. That guy. Ask me about rap. That's like asking me about fishing. I My heat stroke came doing interlock stone, and I started, uh, I just tried to push through the day. It was a hot, like 105 degrees, and uh, I started slurring. I was so far gone, I didn't even really know that I was far gone. Wasn't sweating anymore. The guy who I was working for noticed the, you know, what was happening. Oh, so me. it was like a summer job kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, for years, 
I would work in my summers as a teacher because I'd be off. So I'd work jobs, different jobs. And for a couple of years, I did that. That's a weird one to pick. It was with a group of friends. We were all teachers and it paid really well. So and, you know uh, how to do that? I do. Did you, have you done it at your house? Nope. <laughs> it's hard work. It's really hard. Because you have to and put I was, sand down first, right? Yeah. Well, you put like gravel and then you put uh, stone dust is what we would use. And then you... And then you lay your stones. I was a, I was a brick cutter, so I would cut the bricks. Oh, with that big saw that cuts bricks. Yes, a big wet saw. That's cool. That's You had the butch job. Well, actually, it was the easiest job. Did you have, like, cut-off T-shirt? And- no, we weren't allowed. We he didn't. We had to wear our company shirt and uh, tucked in, and he had rules. Did you chew tobacco? I chewed tobacco and smoked a pipe. Good. Uh, the pipe doesn't work. The chewing tobacco does. Uh, should we call it a night? We should. Yeah, I, I, I don't have as many little anecdotes to share this week because it's just been a normal week. It, we just passed Easter, so um, we were all doing that. Did you celebrate anything for Easter? No, not a thing. I made spaghetti sauce. We did a ham and had a big party inside our house. Did you really? Yeah, we had about 30 people. No, no, but you celebrated with We the had nobody. We saw, we did a virtual meet with uh, my wife's family and my folks came over to the backyard and we had a masked outdoor distanced visit. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And did they beg you to help them with their interlock? No, that's my in-laws. I love the fact that you did that. Every time we talk, I learn some weird new detail about your life. Well, the weird Riley is a multifaceted show. We get into weird topics on many different levels. So can I ask you a question? Will you be honest with me? Of course, I think. Because I've always wondered this, because I know that the rules have now changed, but did you do the interlock job because you were out of money and you needed money to get through the summer? Well, I can answer that. Yeah. So when you're a young teacher starting out in Canada, you are in, I think, many places in the world, you do not make a lot of money when you first start out and you're not paid in the summer, right? Yeah. So you get jobs so that you can pay your bills. I know that they used to have, the rules have now changed where your money, you get paid now the whole year and it's prorated, right? Correct. But they didn't used to do that. And I know friends who were teachers and I know the the, the supposition was that you would just put a little away. Yeah. And all my friends who were teachers were like, we never put any no, away. No, no one ever did. And then we were like broke in the, in the summer. Right. I mean, once you're at the, you by the time you're at the end of the grid, which takes 10 years to get to, and you're, if you were the a top, you had the top rating, you could probably do it because you were making enough money to put it was easier aside. to save. Yeah. But for young people, like my starting salary was like $30,000 a year. Yeah. And my takeaway was, was not very much because you're paying union dues and your pension and benefits. Yeah. Same as me and the government. We there's exactly the same. You're not even getting 50% of, of that. Right. Yeah. So it was crazy. I'm making a lot of money. <laughs> so, yeah. You live very, very economically. Because every teacher I've, I've asked, and I, I've always, I've said, were you able to put enough away to get through the two months? They were like, are you kidding? And we'd always run out of money. Again, um, listeners of The Weird, we love you so very much. And we're so happy that you join us on this journey every week. And uh, all we ask is that you subscribe and like and share. And that's all we ask. No, that's all we ask, folks. Uh, you know. If you have, you know, valuables around your home that you're not using, perhaps a spare hot air balloon, because those things, Riley, are going hot on uh, the classifieds these days. That's the second time that you mentioned hot air balloons in an episode recently. I find hot air balloons, I don't know why, I find them very funny. 
Do you know what I want? I want a drone. Yes. My father's buying one this summer. I want like, and not like a little rinky dinky stupid. I want a decent drone. Yeah. You should get one, especially where you're going to be moving to. Yeah. Be I, fun want, I want a friggin' to. drone. No, I find hot. I even had an idea for a funny sketch, like for a TV sketch called hot air balloon police force. And it was about the shitty division of a police force where they used hot air balloons. But they'd never get there in time. Yeah. Well, first it would take like forever to heat the, the like get the balloon inflated. And then they would have to go with the wind. So say good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. And thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week for more tales of the weird. Hey, 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 Zoodles. Hey, 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 Zoo.